Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Truly, truly, it um, it means so much. Today I have a great show with my friend Leanne Oten. You may know Leanne as Awakening Women Support on Instagram. She's got an amazing, amazing Instagram. And she is a former counselor with over nine years of experience coaching and supporting clients. And after working in the counseling field in private practice for several years, she decided to go virtual with her business to serve women all over the world. She educates and guides women who are experiencing narcissistic abuse to end the cycle and get clarity on whether to stay or leave. And in today's episode, we talk about the top eight things that women experience when they are victims of narcissistic abuse. And you all want to be here for this whole conversation because it is that good. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Leanne Oten. Leanne, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. It's such an honor and a privilege and a joy to, you know, dig into this stuff with you. Well, I'm so happy to be here because I love talking about this stuff. It is a huge passion of mine to help women, first of all, see where things in their relationship aren't just normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill conflict, when it turns into toxic, um, and when it is actually more specifically narcissistic abuse. So that's mm-hmm. what we're gonna I'm gonna share with you guys today. Yeah, and there's you know, there's a real difference between just sort of abuse and narcissistic abuse, right? An abuser and a narcissist. Um, Can you help us unpack that a little bit? So the way I see it is anyone can be abusive and not necessarily be narcissistic. Narcissistic abuse follows a certain type of familiar patterning and, you know, a particular bundle, I will say of different traits and things that they almost all of them do. Mm. Now, not all of them do all of them right? Like what we're going to go over today, I'm going to go through the top eight, not, you know, you might have someone that doesn't do all eight, but they're just so common. It's a common thread that I see Mm -hmm. that I have like the top eight list, right? Right. (laughs) Because it's so common. Um, Right. So you can have someone that's emotionally abusive, kind of flip in, flip in, not considered of your feelings, you know, but at the same time, I I also want to add that. I just don't know. I feel like anyone that can abuse and not feel deep remorse must have some narcissistic traits in there because otherwise you end up feeling so badly. You don't, you don't want to do it again. Right. When you hurt somebody. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's different, but it's almost a form of sociopathy, right? Like if there's no remorse, there's no remorse, there's a con like continuing to twist things and confuse things in order 
to make you the bad guy, the aggressor, the abuser often, as opposed to taking any responsibility with a, with a, you know, the goal in mind is to not take responsibility. Yeah. And that's where I feel like, you know, when I'm asked that question, what's the difference between just like basic uh, emotional abuse and narcissistic abuse, it's hard to answer. Cause like I said, I think there must be some level of that in there regardless, because to, to be able to hurt somebody repeatedly in the ways that you've made very clear, this is the pattern you've made it very clear that these things are not okay with you and they continue to do them. Right. So you have to have no ability to self-reflect or, or take any accountability or have any ability to feel that guilt and have that propel you toward doing better. Mm-hmm. So as far right. as narcissistic abuse goes, like one of the top things that those with the traits, you can have traits or be a full-blown NPD, narcissistic personality mm-hmm. disorder individual. That's more where you're getting diagnosed. You're clinically diagnosable. You go to a psychiatrist, but they're often not going to go they're not going to go and get that label, right? They're not that's, gonna... the, that's the problem, right? Is that is, is getting that diagnosed requires someone to feel badly enough about their, their life or their experiences or, you know, how they're treating people to want to get help and want to get a diagnosis and to actually seek answers. But right. that, but someone with narcissistic personality disorder doesn't necessarily follow that, that personality pattern of, of actually giving a shit, <laughs> right? No, they, they're, they're blaming it on you. Right. Exactly. So how yeah. can you, you know, we can't change unless we're able to look honestly at ourselves. Right. Right. And often mm-hmm. the women that I work with who are in these relationships, they're taking all the blame themselves. You know, it's very imbalanced. That's so right. it, yeah. So, so really what we're going to talk about today is specific to narcissistic abuse, but the, the biggest thing before I go into those, those top eight is they're one of their most used tools is gaslighting, right? Like mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing that messes with women's head on such a deep level. They don't even know what ends up anymore. And that, that takes a certain amount of inability to have any, uh, regret or remorse because you're messing with somebody's psychology You're messing with somebody's mind and have no qualms about it. No introspection that, oh, I'm actually doing damage here. That's right. That's right. And the design of gaslighting, right. Is not just to not take any personal responsibility. It's also to, to distort your reality to the, so badly that you actually believe, start to believe that you're going crazy. Right. Yes. And that's like, again, sociopathic. That's not just like your average, like, oh, we have a misunderstanding or like, I thought you said this, or I thought it's like, there is a design to destabilize you mentally so badly that you actually start to lose your mind. Yeah. And I always see it as it's a systematic approach to twist things so that you're questioning yourselves and you Mm -hmm. stop questioning them. So Mm -hmm. if they're taking Mm -hmm. the heat off of, Hey, I did something wrong here and they're twisting it and they're throwing it off. And I didn't say that and they're denying it and they're throwing it back on you. That's right. And so, you know, that's, that's really like for sure. an ongoing, I would say the one constant in all relationships, if you have a narcissistic partner who has traits or is further along the spectrum, it doesn't really matter. That is one that I really believe that they're, you know, that's going to be there all the time. You're going to be experiencing that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, and I want to caution people because a lot I know that what happens with a lot of people who might be listening to this is that your first uh, inclination is to run back to your partner and be like, I figured it out, <laughs> right? What you're doing is this thing, it's called abuse or gaslighting. And like, because surely if they understood that that's what they were doing, they would stop. Yeah. And, but the psychology of this kind of person, they actually do know, right? I believe that they must. I think <laughs> they know what they're doing is wrong. They may not know why they're doing it because they're not looking at why they're not even asking why, mm-hmm. but I think they must know what they're doing or else. Why would they go to such great lengths to hide what they're doing? Why do they only do it to you and not their boss and their coworker exactly. and exactly. their mother and their brother? Mm-hmm. Why aren't they treating other people like this? That's right. And why do they get so upset when you uh, out them? Exactly. Right? If, if, if God forbid any of your friends happen to know anything that's happened, if you've shown them the text messages while you're out with them, if you have right, any of these things, they get really angry. And it's like, well, if, if you don't want other people to know about it, then you must know that it's bingo. Wrong. Exactly. They know. And, and there's a lot of this, like, you know, you're just trying to make me the bad guy kind of thing. And, and so, I mean, that would be the biggest thing, um, you know, across the board, um, is that there is no accountability taken and the tactics they use to avoid accountability are things like gaslighting and more of what we'll go into. Do you want me to dive in? Yes, let's go. Let's go into these top eight, the top eight things that women experience. I'm, I love this. All right. So the first is the extreme highs and lows. So they're very extreme. The highs are really high. You literally almost feel like you're getting a high, like a hit of something Mm -hmm. when you're getting love bomb, when you're getting all the niceties and the attention. And, you know, when they're in that hoovering love bombing phase of the cycle. Right. And then when they decide they're going to take that away, then you drop into the lowest of lows, which can look like depression and apathy and just feeling um, exhausted. And this will often precede like an abuse incident of some kind, um, only to be followed once again by another extreme. And that is part of the cycle. So that is, that is the cycle of abuse as we know it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. like up, down, up, down, Mm -hmm. up, down. The second is confusion. And this isn't confusion Mm -hmm. that you feel Mm -hmm. in any other area of your life. Like you might feel kind of brain fog, you know, but the confusion is related to this one person and this relationship, right? Don't feel it with your best friend. You don't feel it with other people in your life, unless they're also narcissistic or abusive. Right. But I feel like it's different when you're dealing with someone you're in an intimate relationship living day and day with, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, it's that, and, and that's, that sort of is part of that gaslighting, right? Cause I'm confused because I feel like it's you, but you are so convinced that it's me that I'm starting to become convinced that it's me, but I can't put those pieces together because they don't quite fit. But like, you're, you're really convincing me that it's not you. <laughs> so right? exactly. And it's the, tw- it's just so twisted. It's so twisted. And, and 
with the highs and lows. Cause you're like, why mm-hmm. sometimes can right. they be so great over here? And then they just drop the ball and they're right back to the same once again. Like, are they, I like to say, are they good people doing bad things or bad people doing good things once in a while? Like you're always like trying to figure out in your head to make sense of it. Yes, that's right. That's right. So that's the second one. The third mm-hmm. is a lot of self-blame. And again, like you said, it comes back to this continuation of them always throwing everything onto you, the blame shifting and women in these relationships are often very um, open to taking blame because they're self-reflective. Oftentimes they're introspective, they're self-aware women mm-hmm. where they're like, Hmm, could this be me? Maybe I could have done that differently. What could I have done differently to a fault? Yes. Right. So they're yes, trying to take abuse, right. abuse and go, what can I do differently? That doesn't mean you can't do something differently, but it's not your fault. Like, that's right. You know, the, the, the choice to abuse is the fault of the person doing the abusing. That's it. That's right. That's right. And because it, yeah, it's not your fault. And look, we all have things to work on in relationships, right? But that's different from blame and yes. things being your fault. Yes. And the thing is, is that women are taking on all the blame and yet the one who is causing the majority of the issues, mm-hmm. 95% of it, I would say mm-hmm. the other five yes. is just the reaction to it. But, right. um, it, it is because they're not taking any accountability whatsoever. That's right. That's right. For them to take accountability, they have to drop that image. They want to hold of being a good person, especially these mm-hmm. covert types. They are trying to hold the image of I'm a good guy. So, mm-hmm. Uh, if I take the blame, I'm admitting that that's not true. So it's easier for me to just make it your fault. And often they'll do that. Like, no, 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 I don't, I know. Like, I know, like, it's totally like, I have these things to work on too. And I'm really working on, or, you know, I'll think about that. You're right. There's some, you know, absolutely. And so it's, I always say like, they take, they take responsibility for like 5% in a really big sort of show of, of, you know, responsibility so that to distract you from the fact that they're not actually doing any of the work of that 95%, right. They'll put on a big show of like, oh yeah, no, 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 totally, totally. I I absolutely have that stuff to work on. You're right. But here's the thing you da, 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 right. And so it looks like they're taking responsibility and then you're like, right, no, no, that's my part. Okay, I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to go get a coach. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to take this program, this workshop, blah, blah, blah. Because you're right, I have all these things to work on. And he's just been like, yeah, no, I've got this stuff to work on. And that's all That's all he's done. That right there <laughs> right? is like a bingo moment, that right there. Mm-hmm. Because they'll say things like, I know I'm not perfect. Right. But you know, there's these things that you have here too. You're not perfect either. Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. a lot of this, uh, equalizing, they want to equalize the issues that this is a, our issue 50, 50, remember, uh, not in this situation. And what you just said there about how they try to sort of act empathetic and act introspective, it's all acting. Right. And so there's nothing going on behind the scenes to actually make sure that that is happening. It's just words. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's why you'll end up in that same conversation a hundred times about the same issue. Well, you said last time you're going to work on it and here we are again. Well, I'm not perfect. It's going to take time. I think you just expect perfection of me. I'm not going to be able to just get it quickly. You know, it's going to take time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I get that. That see, because yeah, we're yeah, totally so, right. Like, right. Yeah. I get that takes time. Right. Until you get to a place where you're like, yeah, no, I've already, we've been through this a hundred times. Yeah. 
that isn't going to fly anymore. That's right. <laughs> right. 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 So, so that yeah. is a huge, a huge piece is self blame women mm-hmm. taking it on themselves and they feel like mm-hmm. everything's their fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fourth is high anxiety. So you could be someone that already has some anxiety. Yeah. Right? So then you blame your anxiety is to blame for the issues, right? I'm just so anxious that, you know, I have always had this anxiety. Well, the thing is, is being in a relationship like this, if you already have anxiety or an anxiety disorder of some kind, it's going to exponentially throw it through the roof, right? You're going to have panic attacks and, um, interactions are going to cause panic and heart racing and, um, different stress related responses. And you'll have a lot of anxiety related directly to this person in this relationship because of all that's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Right. And it's like, and then you'll think like, oh, well, that's, it's me. It's my anxiety. Right. I'll let me go. I'll go on meds or I'll do my mindfulness practice and all of that, which by the way, like, yes, like, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're suffering, do all of that, but it's like, it's like trying to treat a burn wound in a fire right? You're, you're, you can put all the ointment on you want, but if you're still in holding your hand over an open flame. Yeah. And that's the thing. There's so many things that we can do to manage, but if you keep going home to this person that isn't like, you could go to therapy Mm -hmm. and be like, okay, I feel good. You're driving home. You're like, yes, I'm on point. I feel good. I've got all my crap out. I dumped it all out. Here I go. I'm ready. And they go home boom, right back to it again with one comment, one covert jab, one passive aggressive comment, just their energy sometimes being in it. Oh yeah. Right. And so you're right back to it again. Right. Right. Because the core of it is the person there that is actually triggering that response. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. And I think the energy is something that's really important to not bypass. Right. Like I want to actually sort of stop for a second and, and, and talk about that energy, because I know, um, you know, that's sort of where the walking on eggshells comes in because it's not, it's not just because they're going to say something mean, they're going to explode in some, you know, rageful fit. It's not, it's not just that, right. It's, is he going to bristle at every word that I say? Is he going to just, you know, look at me with disdain? Is he just going to ignore me? Um, is he going to start withholding, right? And so it it is that energetic shift and we become so hypersensitive to it. I think those of us who have been in these relationships um, become sort of more highly um, attuned to other people's energies because it's a life or death uh, mechanism, right? It's, yeah. a, it's a protection mechanism for us. Yes. And I do believe too, that it goes back into our childhood, into our formative years, family system that sure. felt that in, in the dynamic yes. at home. So Absolutely. all of this always, yep. you know, yep. can always be traced back, but, uh, yeah, for, for me, I had to become aware of that. Like when my spouse would be coming home and if there was anything out of place, I knew the things that he would get all grumbly about. And I always felt like I had to go and make sure everything was just right for him when you come home. And mm-hmm. I had my youngest mm-hmm. year. She was so little when she said it, not very old at all said, why, whenever dad's going to come home, are you running around? Like, so worried about everything. Cause I would get anxiety and be like, clean up your stuff. And like, it would affect yeah. me right? because I didn't want to deal with that. Right. <sighs> but there would always be something. 
Yeah. Or it would be acting energetically, you know, just yuck. And you're like, what's wrong? And it's like nothing. So it doesn't even have to be anything. That's right. Mm -hmm. Lit. And you're like, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. that's not what my body is telling me. Well, there's nothing. Just leave me alone. Kind of, you know, so you just, it's not always outright. If you're dealing with a covert person that isn't just going to come home and yell and scream and throw things. That's right. Very quiet. It is. And this is, you know, this is one of the difficulties with emotional abuse, right? Is we don't have bruises in the UK and other, some, some European countries, coercive control has been made illegal, but it's very hard to prosecute because it's virtually impossible to prove. Like you can't be like, well, he came home and with a, with an attitude (laughs) and be like, I'm going to like, you know, prosecute him on that. Like what? Well, he's going to come home. Like for me, it was the thing for whatever reason is always the garbage, the garbage, Mm -hmm. the garbage is full. And then eventually I was like, why don't you take out the damn garbage? If you see it's full. Right. Yeah. Cause eventually you're like, Whoa, what am I living in the twilight zone? <laughs> right. It's right? not my fucking job. What are you yeah, doing? You're here all right. day. I'm at work. You're here all day yeah. home uh-huh. all day with little kids. Right. You know, this is the awakening of it. You know, like this was so long ago now, but I can, I can recall it like it's just yesterday because, and now I can look at it and go, boy, oh boy, I was just not in my power. But when you're in it, mm-hmm. you don't see it. And so you're always in that anxiety, whether things are spoken or they're not. And if you mm-hmm. are a highly sensitive person in HSP or this, you know, the buzzword empath, right. I would say I definitely fall into those highly Me sensitive, too. highly Absolutely. attuned. I can mm-hmm. feel things before I can see them. Like I can being in the energy of someone like that very much can throw me off. I've gotten better. That's the fourth one is the anxiety. And definitely, mm-hmm. like you said, the energetic component is huge. Not, it's not just about what they're doing or saying. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor today. For over a decade, I've helped divorcing moms put their children at the center of all of their decisions. So whenever I hear about moms struggling to co-parent with an ex that abuses alcohol, I have one system in mind, Soberlink. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they're not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test, so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. To download the resource I created with Soberlink, Checklist for High Conflict Divorces, visit Soberlink.com DSG. And now back to our show. The fifth is crazy making communication. This is like a big umbrella. Okay. The tools that they use, though are many, right? It, yeah. the, the real thing here with crazy making communication is nothing gets resolved. You could be in a five hour long knockdown drag out fight about one issue you brought up and it never gets resolved. You're like, what, what did I even bring up to begin with? You literally are going, Whoa, wait a minute. Like, what was it? I was even trying to address because yeah. now we're like three hours in and 
So no that, idea, you know, no the, idea the, what the tactics what, like, they use to get there though, are many, the blame shifting, stonewalling, gaslighting, twisting, diverting the topics, all that. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. crazy making communication gets its name because it literally makes you feel crazy. Like your head is spinning and huh, did I even get this thing resolved? I brought up. No. So it works. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's a, it, and it's a, it's a diversionary tactic. That's all it is, right. <laughs> is that to divert from the original point and, and what we're talking about so that I don't have to take responsibility. Yeah. Let me just mess with your head and twist it all around. Uh, and then I get off scot-free and somehow you walk away again, feeling self-blame. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's awful. And if you react, then you're abusing me. Yes. <laughs> right. That's yes. Reaction abuse. I think we feel the same way about the, about that. Yeah. Term. I don't think it's abuse. I think it's, <laughs> it's a not natural abuse. response to abuse. Right. That's um, what I, I always say. It is a perfectly appropriate response to someone who's gaslighting you or making you crazy. Yeah. It can make you feel rage. You want right. to throw things. You want to call them every name in the book. You want to punch them in the throat. Even at times you don't yeah. do it, but you're the feelings are there. Cause you're just so frustrated. Yeah. I smashed my kitchen cabinet, which was glass and all the glass shattered. And, 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 and I had been saying, I need to go for a walk. I need to get out of the house. I'm trying to protect myself from, I'm being triggered. I need to get out. I need to move. And he was blocking the door by the way, in the world of domestic violence is called false imprisonment. It's a misdemeanor. You know, he's blocking the way he won't let me out. And I'm going, and I'm like, I'm ramping up and up and up. And I'm like, you have to let me go. You have to let me go. Like we talked about this in therapy. This is our, this is our tool. Right. And he wouldn't do it. And I lost it. And I slammed uh, the kitchen cabinet and the glass shattered. And he stood back and he was like, wow. Oh my God. Look at you. That just made me feel like so many things in my body. Cause I have. I had had so many of those experiences mm-hmm. of where, yep. yeah, you do finally just lose it and you do mm-hmm. or say something that obviously looks bad. And that's what is focused on. Not that that's they right. were now, like, in a certain way. Wow. You're crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's that standing back calmly. Wow. Like it's exactly. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. That's who you are. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're the <laughs> abuser. That, that just increases the trigger. <clears throat> And, and, you know, the thing that is just so sickening about all this is like, as we're talking about it, because we experienced it, we can speak to it like this, but you know, the fact that this isn't something that is illegal is like, there has to be there, there just needs to be something. There has to be a way for these men to be held accountable. It's something that makes me just sick yeah. because you're not hit. There's no repercussions. That's right. And oftentimes these guys get away with what they do without other people knowing right. yep. they get the world to feel sorry for them. They get the world to think they're the victim, that they're just a good guy victim that was totally effed over by their, their partner or their partners, the crazy one that breaks uh-huh. glass uh-huh. in the cabinets. She's right. got such anger, right. That they get away with it all. And it's just sickening. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. And I always come back to the Gabby Petito footage the, the body cam footage and how he was so calm and she looked like the crazy one. And had they had any domestic violence training really understood that, you know, for those of us in the DV world, we were like, 
clearly he's the aggressor. <laughs> clearly she's destabilized and she's completely off her rocker because something has been going on. And they um, missed it. And they missed it and she's dead. So that's he. just the perfect, <laughs> not, not a perfect example, but like a chilling awful example, but yeah. it is, it, it, that exactly is what I thought when I saw that, right. That's it right. It was like, wow, she's been like, her head's been messed with and she thinks it's her fault. That's right. That's right. And I, and I hope to God that her death, uh, really causes certainly, you know, those cops to, but I, I think, I hope it, it was a little bit of a national awakening to cops missed something very, very vital. And like that is what they missed. And I'm, I'm hoping that, that more, um, law enforcement agencies are, uh, are understanding this more and more, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. Something, something more needs to be done because those of us out in the field doing the work, we can only reach so many, that's you know, right. that's why it's good to do this and, and share audiences and, and, yeah. you know, cause it spreads the word, but like, it still feels like sometimes I'm like, there's not enough. There's something else that needs to be done. It feels like such an injustice that this kind of thing happens to women. They're the ones left to pick up the pieces. And then the other one gets to walk away. Like yeah. they haven't even been affected. They just move sure. on. That's right. And they do it again. Exactly. They do it again. Exactly the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I know it's something that sometimes I get so wrapped up in and I'm like, what else can I do? What else can be done? Like something else needs to be done. And I know I can't save the world, right? It's just that. Yeah. No, like, I, I want to rescue everyone, but every, like, I mean, I think that, you know, us doing the education work that we're doing is really, really important. I just wish that we could certainly here in the U S I know you're in, you're in Canada, but I really wish that the family law family court system in, in certainly in the U S and I don't know if it's what it's like in Canada, but in the U S family court judges are have, don't, are not required to have any training in domestic violence at all. And they're, they're on a rotation. So last week they could have been, you know, doing like estate law. And then this yeah. week they're doing family law and there's no, you know, there's no sort of additional training in this. So they don't recognize these things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and that's just it is there isn't any of that. And it's, it's going, it's getting missed, right? Yep. Yeah. It's, yep. it is terrible. So the last, or I have three more, the sixth yep. one is rumination mm. and obsessive thinking. So you have a lot of rumination and yes. obsessive thought loops about your partner, the relationship, the last interaction, an interaction that happened three months ago, like your brain is just always yes. trying to process what it can't make sense of. Like our brain wants to make sense of things. I like to close loops. I like to say it's like closing a loop. If I have open loops, yeah. it'll spin in my head, right? A, a task I didn't finish, something I need to go sign and deal with at some office, like that stuff will go in my head till it's closed. When yes. it's closed and I can check it off my list and make sense, it, I don't think about it again. Right. When you're in this type of situation, there is none of that. There are no closed loops. Like I said, there's no resolution. There's no uh, coming to a, a, res a resolve, right? Because it's happening again and again and again and again and again, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So we we don't get to close loops in these relationships. So you're trying to make sense of it in your head. So you might find yourself just spinning the conversation around obsessively, an interaction, what was said. Uh, it takes up a lot of mental space. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And then it goes, and then that, I think funnels it back into the confusion and the crazy making. 
right? Yeah. And the anxiety. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, this is it. They they're not all happening in isolation. It's like right. you're not just sitting there blaming yourself. You've right. got the spinning head and the confusion and you know the highs. Like it's all this is all going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you wonder why your body's breaking down and your kids are acting out and they're having issues. You know, that's the saddest part we haven't even touched on is the damage this all does to the kids in the midst of all of this, not just what they're seeing, but also feeling like they don't have a parent they can count on because nobody knows what the hell's going on. Right. (laughs) You're as a mom, you're struggling just to survive. So they often, so the stuff I see that happens with kids is really heartbreaking. So, but that's a whole other side, side to things, but it's important, you know? And so, but I think it's important to say that, you know, if you resonate with the conversation that we're having right now, and if you resonate with these eight points, we're only hipped up to six, but if you're like, oh God, yes, what you're modeling to your children is incredibly destructive. And what, you know, what we want to do is we want to stay in it for our kids and we want to, you know, maintain a home and a, a quote family. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of put that above the very real reality that what is this family is broken. Yeah. It is so broken. And when we talk about, you know, quote, broken homes, right? Like this is a broken home. Very good point. Very good point. And the, you know, a lot of times what happens is that the kids are acting out what is going on in the home. They're kind of like the barometer, right. To be like, something's not right here. And, um, you know, we're trying to like figure out what's wrong with Tommy that's acting out (laughs) when it's Mm -hmm. like, well, it's Mm -hmm. probably related to the home. Right. Yeah. Right. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We can't, you know, overlook that, that they are very much impacted by it. So that's a whole other, whole other topic on parenting. We could do another interview on how kids are impacted, (laughs) right? Right. Yeah. Um, Like what I see anyways in my Mm -hmm. practice, but so uh, moving on number seven is that it just feels one-sided. The relationship feels very much one-sided. You're the one that cares about it. You're the one that's always trying to build connection and improve things. And you feel like you're doing the majority of the work everywhere, emotionally in the house, logistically with the kids, everything just feels like it's on your shoulders and you don't feel like you actually have that partnership. That's so, I mean, I love the way you've broken these down because they're so on point. They're so on target, right? Like I said before, it's like, oh, oh, there's something wrong with me. Okay. I'll go to therapy. I'll go do this workshop. I'll take this class. I'll like da, 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 da. And they don't do any, they don't crack a fucking book. They might go to like a couple therapy sessions yeah, or right. like read a few pages of the book that you've agreed uh-huh. to read together to look, to look good. Yeah. Right. Just enough to dust. look good. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then you're, That's right. you're in the role of like, Hey, have you been doing the book? Have you, have you been to therapy? That's not the role you want to be in. Right. That's, That's right. like a mother role. It's yep. you're like, when was your last therapy session? Have you been going? What have you figured out? What have you talked about? Have you read the book? So this is a whole other thing that can come out where it's the hypervigilance of control, wanting to have control. And then you're the harpy. (laughs) Well, this is it, right? You can't force me or just on me all the time. But, Mm -hmm. but for you, you're going, well, I'm doing my part. I said, I would do right. And I'm just wanting you to be accountable, but they won't be accountable. It'll be you who is expecting too much of them. 
or one that I heard recently, one of my, uh, program, my ladies in my program, she said her partner says to her, well, you have more time than I do to work on yourself. Okay. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Like, Oh, cause, cause he works and she's a stay-at-home parent. Yeah. She uh-huh. works as well. Um, oh, she works as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's just certain things come up on coaching calls where I'm like, Oh yeah, that, there you go. So again, it's like the blame shifting right. kind of evading self-responsibility. Well, you can see that they find time to go fishing, play ball, go to the gym, That's right. um, That's all right. their work meetings, like all those things uh-huh. they uh-huh. make time for. Right. He comes home, he cracks a beer, he goes and sits in, in the lazy boy and like watches for five hours, you know, for five <laughs> hours while you're cooking and cleaning and getting the kids ready for bed and all of that. But like, you know, he's tired from his day. Yeah. And that kind of messaging can be infuriating because it's like, you know, you're seeing them sit in front of the TV for four or five hours at night and say to you, I don't have time mm-hmm. to read mm-hmm. a book like mm-hmm. you do. Right. Exactly. What I heard was, well, that's your job. You're always in your, you love personal growth and it's your job. Well, yeah, sure. That's true. But I make the time. I always find the time. Right. But also this isn't work. This is our relationship. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. And, and that's yeah. the other thing with the one side is the care isn't there. The mm, actual right. genuine, mm-hmm. like goodwill of, I want to heal this too. I want us to be okay. I want things to be better too. Mm-hmm. And so I'm actually going to do some things and stick to like, that's not happening. The right. follow through you will see does not happen. And it might for a short while, but it doesn't last mm-hmm. super frustrating. Um, and then number eight and the final, and you know, there obviously could be way more. These are, <laughs> these are yeah. just the top. Um, <laughs> it is just that your partner follows a nice, nasty pattern of behavior. Oof. There's a lot of the nice, nasty, nice, nasty. And again, that ropes back into the confusion and the feeling high anxiety because you don't know what you're going to get. And yeah. I, what I like to say is, well, you, ha- you can have a pretty good idea what you're going to get because you know that the nice isn't going to last. There's going, something is going to happen. And this can create the anxiety because you're feeling really good because they're being nice or some women, you know, like normal, he's being normal right now. I don't want to bring up this issue, <laughs> right? Yeah, he's being nice. Right. I don't want to rock the boat, right. but you know, it's not going to last. Like there's a part of you that's trying to like spin your wheels, trying to like figure out how to make it last. If I could just yeah. catch it right. here and not do this here and make sure I've taken care of this over here, then maybe mm-hmm. it will last, right. but it doesn't. And you're going to get the nasty. And that's really what, you know, that's really what's happening is that, you know, when you're in this kind of abusive relationship is that you're, you, you don't want the relationship to end. You want the abuse to end. Yeah. And so you're constantly looking for ways to make it stop. Mm -hmm. And so when he's in the nice, in the nice part of the nice, nasty pattern, you get lulled into a false sense of security right? It's that, it's that calm period before the tension building before the next explosion. Right. And so in that, the love bombing and then the calm right period, you somehow convince yourself or he convinces you that it won't happen again. It was a one-off or it was this, or it was your fault. And so if you didn't do this, then, you know, then it would be fine. Right. And you get lulled into this false sense of security because you, because you have hope it's not your fault. You're just desperate to make this stop. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And it's because you, you want it to work out. That's right. like you said, there is that part of you. You're like, I yeah. really, really want this to work out. That's right. And so they're winning because you're doing all the work to try and make it right to make it That's work right. out. And <laughs> you know, the number one reason that women don't leave abusive marriages is love. Mm-hmm. That's the number one reason it's love because we, we love well, them. Well, and I think too, there's this point to where we think I feel like that there's mm-hmm. a point where it's not necessarily love that we're feeling right. it's, but it's the toxic bonding there yes, it's that the we bond. think is love. That's right. I was going to say, I was going to say, and thank you for saying that because it's, it's love. Like we say it's love, right? So uh, we, we think we're staying because we love them, yeah. but is that love? Right. Yes. So you, that's what you're saying. Like the languaging yeah. for women is like, Oh, but I love him. Really? What do you love about this person? What do you love about him? Right. Right. Do you respect him? Does you know, he care about you? Does he, yeah. right? Is he a good dad? Like all of the things, right? What is it that you love? Yeah. Oh gosh, this is, there's just so much, there's just so much here. Right. But, but I think that that's an important piece is that really, whether we love, whether it's love or not, we just, we don't want the relationship to end. We just want the abuse to stop. We want, to feel good again in this relationship. Yeah. We want the, the good part to stay. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's what's so heartbreaking. I think too, about it is, you know, and I don't know if it's just the toxic bonding, the traumatic bonding that keeps them locked into this. I want this to work. Mm-hmm. Or is it that women that end up in these relationships are handpicked because of their commitment, because of their level of integrity, because of who we are, we make a good partner because when we're committed, we go all in right. And they don't have to. Right. So I always wonder like, which is it? That's what gets me thinking because the women I work with have like this theme of like those women would commit to their men. If their men were doing the work, like they'd be with them through thick and thin Mm -hmm. if their men Mm -hmm. were actually doing the work to change. Right. That's right. right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We make really good life partners. If we would pick someone who has the same level of integrity and commitment into the relationship. Do they exist? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No comment. $64,000 question. (laughs) I'll let you know. (laughs) Leanne and I will let you know when we figure that out. Um, Let's talk. Can we talk briefly about trauma bonding? Because we, you know, we, 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 we touched on that for a second and let's bring that up to the surface a little bit. Right. Because this thing that we think is love is actually like an addictive cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you and describe? So with trauma bonding, the way that I see it, and I believe too, that this again, stems back to a formative years relationship, usually with the mm-hmm. opposite sex parent. So we're trying to get some kind of need met in this relationship. That's not being met. But it is formed by when you have a relationship with somebody that you, you love, or, you know, you have an intimate relationship with who is hurting you. And then they're also coming in and trying to help you and heal you at the same time. So the one that is hurting you is the one you're seeking to heal you. That's what creates that mind fuck. If it's okay, I swear. <laughs> That's what <laughs> yes. it creates. Have you met me, girl? <laughs> <laughs> so, and it becomes this thing where you only want that person. You think that's yeah. the only person that can make you feel better, that's but right. you forget he's the reason I'm crying. He's the reason I feel this way. He's the reason I'm broken. And I'm looking to him to come and comfort me now. 
that is what creates that. And, and because women are becoming so isolated slowly in these relationships, they only seek that one person, which is what that person wants. So that person can come in and say, oh, your best friend, Karen, doesn't know our relationship. You know, of course, she's going to say that about me. She's your best friend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're like, right, right, right. Yeah. So I can't trust her. You're right. She's probably just trying to like make you look bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And yes. so the more these things happen, or I will hear things like, oh, your therapist, of course, your therapist is going to say that, you know, kind of stuff. They're like only that. hearing one side. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right. Right. And so then you're like, okay, right. Can't trust the therapist. Stop going to the therapist. I can only trust you. So the more this is happening, you're literally at this one person that you're seeking the comfort from. And they're the only one that can give that to you, which leads to those highs and lows. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so you yeah. have to get to yeah. a place where you realize, oh my God, this is like really, really bad. Yeah. That this is where I'm at. Right. And, you know, the thing about them too, is that I think there's a dopamine cycle that goes along with it, which is why I think, you know, it really is an addiction, right? It's because we get the dopamine hit when they're love bombing us, when they're, when they're being kind, we're like, we do, we get, if we get a chemical hit and then when they take it away, we just want the, we want the hit again. We want the love, we want the connection, we want all of those things, but really it's also this dopamine hit that we become, we become addicted to this cycle happening. Exactly. And with that uh, sudden taking it away. That's when, if you're prone to depression, you're going to go into that depressive phase. Yes. Yes. And then that goes to also show you that this person may have all along just been your drug because maybe depression was there to begin with. And this person you felt was the thing that was going to make you happy. And so Mm -hmm. this is just, there's so much of our own work we have to do in this. Um, because when, and if you leave the relationship, you're left to still deal with all of that stuff. That's right. Deal with the depression and the, you know, the way that you feel when you don't have that person around. And that's why going no contact and all that is just the most painful and hard thing for women to do. And it's also the most important and the most difficult when you have kids. If that's absolutely, you have kids with with this person, right? Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's the hardest part. Um, in, I know we have a couple minutes left and I just want to touch on, cause we haven't talked about this yet. Going to therapy with your abuser. Don't do it. <laughs> mm, nope. I have, so, I can say I have yes. never once heard of one single positive story of a woman going to therapy with her partner. And it went well, in fact, right. it's just nightmare story after nightmare story of, the therapist trying to equalize the relationship issues because that's they're, exactly it. they're not trained in this. That's right. So they're trying to make it a communication issue when that's not the issue. Mm-hmm. Cause their job, their client is the relationship. Right. And like you said, they're trying to equalize it. So it's like, okay, what's your part? What's your part? Everything's 50, 50. Right. Uh-huh. And like, they're dealing with the feelings, but they're not at all able to see or understand the source. Well, and you said something earlier about this, where you said the therapist said, I need like a a red, like a red flag or yellow flag. Like I, you know, we made this agreement in therapy that when I'm feeling this way, you need to let me go. And he's like, and he didn't listen. So that's that's where I'm saying they are not going to follow through behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah. And they're going to use your vulnerabilities against you, right? Because you're in therapy and you're like, okay, well, this is safe. I can now open myself up and I can talk about my feelings. I can talk about my anxiety. I can talk about how confused I am. Right. And then they're going to use that as a weapon against you in your next fight. Yeah. Because the thing is you don't want to be vulnerable with this person. That's Mm -hmm. what the mistake women make is, you know, you're being vulnerable with someone who's unsafe for you to be emotionally vulnerable with. And yes, they will use that as ammunition later. Uh, The other thing I've seen a lot is just a chronic invalidation in therapy because the the therapist doesn't know what's happening. So the woman is not getting validated. Right. Um, Just so like even gaslighting and it's just, it's terrible. So I say therapy has its place. That's my background. So I have obviously mm-hmm. um, have some belief in its power, but find someone who is, you know, I always say, find someone who is, you know, several levels ahead of you. Don't go to someone who doesn't know any better. Oh my God. Please don't be the smartest person in the room when you're in therapy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I have a hard so- time finding someone myself because I- I'm like, I do too, Leanne. I do too. It's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard when you're paying like, you know, really expensive coaches to work with me, right there. They cost a lot more than $150, but I get exponentially more out of it because for me, therapy is just an outlet to just go and like, kind of just process my thoughts. Cause I don't want to dump all that on my family and friends. Right. That's my thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's good for that just to kind of get it out. But I find beyond that, it, it, unless you have a really skilled therapist, someone mm-hmm. that has the training and the self-growth and the self-awareness combined that can help you, it's just kind of, you just go in there to sort of kill time. Yeah. You'll notice yeah. you're not getting anywhere. Right. Um, so find someone right. that you really feel can help you move forward, whether it's a therapist or a coach of some kind that, right. that has the skills to help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen, sister. I remember being in therapy once I was like desperate looking for therapists and I was, it was a really bad period of my life financially. So I had to go with someone in network and I found this woman and, you know, I was there for like, you know, my first session and she (laughs) halfway through, she looked at me and she goes, huh, you're really emotionally intelligent. And I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Like, I'm she already was like, I don't know what to do with you. Yeah. Like I've had that many times. Yeah. Like, oh, you seem very self-aware and you're, you know, all these things. Like, and like, yes, yeah, yes. I, I, I find know what find the blind spots. Like if you can't, if you can't help me find the blind spots. Right. And the other thing I think that, that the, you know, the difference I always say between therapy and coaching is that, you know, if you've been in therapy for a really long time and you're like, uh-huh. Okay. I get it. Like, I know, I understand the history. I understand my family history. I get my childhood wounds, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And now what? Yes. And now what? Yes. You're ready for coaching. And that's where I feel like we're, what I do with women is because I have my background in, in counseling. I don't have a counseling practice anymore, but it obviously right. informs mm-hmm. my approach. Right. Sure. Right. But I tend to sort of have like this blended method where I will go into the past. If I think yep. it's going to help the person yep. uh, and then move into, okay, let's move you back into cognitive action, focus plan strategy. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. both. It's not yes. just that. But it's like, okay, so now we've kind of done this. So now what are we going to do? Let's move forward. Mm -hmm. And therapy most often won't include that. It's just, okay, your hour's up. So next week, same time. Good chat. Yeah. And (laughs) and you're like, well, I am not even moving forward. So you have, you know, I don't want to knock therapy. I'm sure there are many, many good, good 
therapists out there that will help you with that. But as a therapist, you're not, you're trained to not give advice. You're told to not give direct advice and tell a client what to do. Right. Or not to do. That's right. That's right. So you're, that's why you're not getting that. You're getting Mm -hmm. the validation and the reflection and the mirroring and the, you know, maybe problem solving strategies together, but you're not getting the, here's your options. Which one are you going to do? When are you going to do it by? Here's your accountability. I'm going to check. Back Here's your homework, <laughs> right? Yeah. Here's your homework. Here's your checklist. Yeah. And, and I right. hold my clients accountable. I'm like, so mm-hmm. what of those from the last session did you do? Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. kind of like, um, sometimes they're like, uh, <laughs> right? nothing. Right. And that's no. great. Like when my clients don't do it, then it's like, okay, great. So what got in the way? Right. Cause that's right. where we look. Yeah, exactly. And that's how they can really look, but, but therapy isn't goal oriented right? Mm-hmm. It's right, just, exactly. you could yeah. go for months and months and not get Years. anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So again, it has its place. Uh, but I do believe that even if, if you can have a therapist and a coach, like a lot of times women come into my program and I explain to them, I'm not telling you to quit therapy. However, if you were to take that investment and put it into this program, I can tell you, you're going to get a hundred thousand times more out of it than that. Your choice, mm-hmm. right? Right. Exactly. Or you can keep going to therapy and do both. But I think mm-hmm. the approach of having both is powerful to have a mentor and a too. coach mm-hmm. to guide you and a therapist. You can just go kind of vent and figure out why am I like this? What's this from? Where did this originate? And very often, like I'll connect dots to childhood that a therapist hasn't connected. And then my clients will take it back to their therapist and then they'll be able to go further with it. Oh, that's- right. Absolutely. Yeah. I have women yeah. that do that all the time where they're yeah. in the program and the, this, and then the therapist is like, who are you working with? Who is like, this? I, right? Girl's <laughs> I get that too. Head. I, I get to learn too. from her. Or they send not to, podcast. Not to toot our own horns, but <laughs> well, it's all right. We can do that. <laughs> we can, we can. That's what we're here for. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Okay. Leanne, tell us where everyone can find you. Um, I think you haven't, did you say you had an offer for everybody? Um, I, what I will do is I will offer my three part pain to power bootcamp. It's a three part video series and it comes with some email follow-ups to kind of keep you on track in the work. And so what I'll do is I'll make that available to your audience. That's so great. So that'll be in the show notes and, um, you can also find Leanne's amazing Instagram at Awakening Women Support. And where is that also your website? Um, my website is leanneoten.com. If mm-hmm. you want to just go and like peruse and check out all the different things that I have. And then my podcast is the Awakening Women podcast as well. So everything is going to be in the show notes. You guys can, um, all the links will be available and I highly recommend you spend some time getting to know Leanne because she's amazing, obviously, (laughs) and um, a wealth of information and support. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.